stream. I want to welcome all of you all here. I encourage you to share the stream if you're watching us uh, or you have an access to Facebook and let some other people know the good news. It's a 45-second evangelism. You can tell the world that Jesus is number one just by going like that and sharing the stream. So I want to encourage you to do that. So uh, Father's Day, as you all already know, and it's an exciting day, so I'm going to do my best to try to fill the room with some testosterone. So don't, don't, uh, don't worry about that. There's only one perfect father, right? There's only one perfect father. Father's Day, oftentimes, the way the church presents Father's Day is it's idealism. Idealism, you know? I, you know, I try to, I'm a context guy, so I'm watching, like, like how different churches present Father's Day. And uh, most of the time, it's like, I've raised eight children, and I've never raised my voice to one of my children. You know, every, everything's like an ideal. It's not, it's not real, right? We present it like it's this idealism. And so a lot of times guys feel guilty or they feel beat up because it's like the, the pastor is espousing this standard that seems unreachable to them. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to build you up. That's my goal. So I'm not here to beat any dudes up. I'm here to build you up. I'm, I'm here to build up the people of God. And so what we want to do this morning, we're going to take a look at Romans chapter 8, five verses in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to learn some aspects about our Heavenly Father. And by learning our Heavenly Father, we're going to learn aspects about what it means to be a father. Amen? Say this with, I want all the guys to say this one. I want a big, deep voice, right? Some, some man stuff here, right? I want you to say this. Fatherhood begins with learning to be fathered. Right. Jesus, God is our prototype. The Heavenly Father is the prototype. He is the model that which we are to follow. Jesus' message and Jesus' mandate in the earth, he did many things. But one of the main things he did was reveal the Father to us. Because the people of that day had a false image. They had a false perception of him. They viewed him very, very religiously. They very, viewed him very, very strict. They viewed him as being very, very harsh. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, he, he's portrayed that way by the writers, and that was their perception of him. And Jesus portrayed him in an entirely different way. And he was a contradiction. That's why they oftentimes they thought, well, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? And he's talking about God being a father, and he's talking about God being loving. And he's talking about God seeing and God caring. They never knew a God like that. So let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 17, if you're looking for a reference. It says, so then, brothers, we are debtors. I'm going to pause right here because this is important. Ladies, I know you're in a room and you're here on Father's Day, so that's a great honor to you. And I want you to understand something, and I think this never needs to be forgotten by you. The greatest emancipator of women is Jesus. No one has freed women and put, re restored the position of women in a society and in a culture like Jesus. Western society has had a lot of changes in the lives of women and have put women in a position where they concede and have tried to do things to bring them out. But the only reason for that is because Western societies have been affected by the gospel. Jesus is the one who elevated the standard of women, period. You can't find anyone who's elevated that you can find cultures all over this earth that women are still repressed. Go to India, go to Africa, right? Go to a lot of places in Asia. Go to any place in the Middle East. Women are still oppressed. And those are areas that are literally unaffected by the gospel. Jesus emancipates women and elevates them back to their status that they were created from. But what I want, the reason I'm saying that is because when the scripture was written in its original language, it was written in a context that was mainly speaking to men. 
And the reason for that, and so the, the language is not necessarily gender neutral. Some trans, the newer translations, they make it a little more sons and daughters, male and female. They make it a little bit more gender neutral. But in this time, when the, when the writers were writing, they were writing it into a culture that was male dominated. Women were not even allowed to be educated at this time. Can you imagine? They were not allowed to testify in court. They had literally no rights. They were treated as property. True, true story. Oh, I'm going to go down that road, but I'm, not, it's like, I'm starting to broaden this context. No, keep it back. Bring it back. So what I, want, what I want you to know is that the gospel is transcultural. It's able to illuminate itself within the culture. As the gospel progressed, a greater illumination came. It's an inbreaking light. It's a seed, a mustard seed, Jesus says. And this tree begins to grow and it begins to blossom out. And as this gospel is blossomed and it's supposed to still be continually growing, as this kingdom and the revelation of this kingdom has grown, women have become more and more empowered and should be become more and more empowered. So when the Bible is speaking specifically to men, it is not excluding women. It's important to know that. It's very important to know. Anybody here with me? Are you here with me? Right? Yeah? Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the male language this morning. And I'm using it because I want to talk to men, right? So there's a reason why I'm kind of leaning on the male side of the way the Bible is speaking, because I want to direct this at guys this morning. So, so then, brothers, we are debtors not, not to live according to the selfish desires of the flesh. Let me give you a little more illumination. So when the Bible talks about the flesh and the Bible uses this word lust, oftentimes, if you're a reader of your scripture, lust, we think almost always we automatically perceive it as like sexual, Lust, oh, it's sexual, it's sexual. It's not lust. The Bible uses the word flesh, and it uses lust in this context. It means selfish desires apart from God. That's what it means. So when you live according to your flesh, you're living according to a selfish desire that is apart from the Lord. When you have a lust or a desire for something that is apart from the Lord. God has no problem with you wanting things. God has no problem with you achieving things. God has no problem with you accomplishing things. But he wants to do it with you. You understand? And when, this, when the Bible says that's when it's talking about, he said, if you live according to the selfish desires apart from God, you will die. Your relationships will die. Your businesses will die. Your finances will die. Your families will die. Not maybe necessarily literally, but, you know, they will die. There will be no life there. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body or the selfish desires outside of the Lord, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, Right? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption through which we cry, Abba. Come on, say it with me. Father. Father. That's right. It's Father's Day. So the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs. Everybody say heirs. Amen. Good word. And heirs, heirs of the Lord and heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ. Five times in five verses he says, Holy Spirit. <laughs> He's emphasizing the point, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. This life is impossible without the Holy Spirit. To follow the Lord is impossible without the Holy Spirit. To achieve that God want, the things that God wants for us is impossible without the Holy Spirit. First thing he says is that we're brothers. Men need brothers. We're created to have brothers. Men are not created to live alone. They're created to have brothers and a brotherhood. We're to form a pack and a tribe. We may not agree on everything, but we are to unify on Christ, and we are to follow the Lord as brothers. The Bible says a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. We need strength. Life's not easy, is it? Not easy. And you need people around you to encourage you, to be with you, to understand you, to accept you, not necessarily agree with you, 
but to be with you. Next thing it says in this verse is that God is our, is our father. He is the prototype of all fatherhood. So if we want to understand fatherhood, we have to understand our heavenly father. And we have to understand the aspects of our relationship to him. You cannot, learn to, you cannot be a father unless you learn to be fathered. It's impossible. You cannot listen to a culture that's lost its mind. This culture has absolutely lost its mind. Uh, you know, I, I told first service, I never thought in my lifetime I would see what I see. It is a complete infiltration. The church has gotten weak and the devil overruns us. Chaos runs our land. We, we can't even tell the difference between a boy and a girl. Our government won't tell you. Your schools won't tell you. We have Father's Day and Transgender Month. You ever thought about that? Who, who came up with that idea? Right? People that struggle with the basis of their identity are broken. People that have problems with their sexuality are broken deeply in their identity. That's why they struggle. They struggle not because God made them a man in a woman's body or because God made them a woman in a man's body. That's not why they're struggling. They're crushed at the point of their identity. And that crushing at the point of their identity bleeds out through their sexuality. You are not your sexuality, but your sexuality directly relates back to your identity. That's why I identify, because you're broken in your identity. That's why. Jesus wasn't confused. The Bible says he made them male and female. He specifically said, I made them male, I made them female. They're made male and female. Sin breaks us. Sin crushes us. Generational sin, cultural sin, brokenness within the home crushes people. And we cover up our excuses and we cover up our sin and we cover up the sin in society by accepting even greater transgressions and by uh, uh, idolizing greater transgressions. It is a transgression. It is a deviance. It is not of God. Be sure when the culture illuminates itself and proclaims itself, the gospel all the more needs to be preached. The church should not retreat in weakness. We should step forward in love and we should say, this is not right. This is not right. You're not going to ram this down our throat, but we just roll over and let the devil steamroll right over us, and he tries to change our mentality and tries to change our agreement. We don't determine righteousness. The Lord determines righteousness. Man does not have the right to determine what is right and wrong. God never gave us that authority. In his sovereign will, he's given us much power, but the, with, the, with the power to tell you what is right and what is wrong, he has not given it to us. The Lord calls sin what is sin, and the Lord calls right what is right. And man does not have that ability. And every time man exercises that ability, he invokes a darkness upon himself and upon a culture. When a culture does it, it invokes that, you invoke that poison into the culture. I don't even know why I'm supposed to say this. Sometimes I'm saying it. They're targeting your children. I don't know if you know that. So all y'all that are in the room that are adults, they're not, they're not targeting you. They already know. There's a systematic evil that's behind this by wicked people. It says nothing to do with what well, does have something to do with Father's Day because your father wants it said, right? They're not targeting me. They're not even targeting maybe my children. They're targeting my grandchildren. They want the schools, right? They want to bring gay day to the schools. They want to bring transgender day to the schools. So let's bring Jesus day to the schools. Can we do that? Can we bring gospel and kingdom power to the schools? We're going to do, do transgender month. Let's do Jesus month and let's see who wins. I'll go, Elijah, on that. You bring your God, I'll bring mine. Let's see where we end up. Let's go. I'm down. I'm down. 
Just a thought. But you need to be aware of that. They're not trying to infect you. They already know. But your children are the ones that are influencing. You need to be aware, parents, of what they're doing in your schools. If you send your kids to public schools, you need to be fully aware of the curriculum that they're teaching. If you, if you, you retreat, your, your children are not products of the state. They belong to you. They don't belong to the state. They don't belong to the Fed. They belong to you. Right? You need to rise up. You need to be aware of this and not just accept this stuff. And when it's not accepted, you need to challenge this. You will not teach this to my children. This is not going to happen. You know, well, we're teaching it all month. Well, challenge it, man. When we go silent, this is how things fall. We cannot look at our culture as a prototype of the family. We cannot look at our culture as the influencers of what we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to go. When we go there, we've lost. The Lord is the prototype. It's all this redefinition of what is right and wrong. We don't have that authority. That's why there's such corruption. It's like corrupt. It's like a world that's lost its mind. I can't, we have Supreme Court judges that can't tell you what a male or a female is. Is it a, what, how do you define a woman? I can't. <laughs> I just watched an interview with a guy. He's at a woman's pride parade or a woman's day parade. And he, ha- he stops a bunch of women, a bunch of these people. He's like, can you define me what a woman is? And the woman goes, I can't. And he's like, you can't define what a woman is? You're at a woman's march. How can you not define what a woman is? Because this is the inundation of our culture. We can't, we can't go there. The church is the salt of the earth. We're the light on the hill. We may not agree. Look, there's things in this gospel that we don't agree with, but I do it because it's my Father's will. Right? Understand this? Am I, am I making sense to any of you? Right? And I'll just illuminate that really quickly. When I first became a Christian, I didn't understand everything. I didn't necessarily even agree with everything because I didn't know any better. I knew Jesus. That was about all I knew. But as I followed the Lord, he began to reveal to me the truths of all of these matters. We follow God not because we agree with it. We follow God because he says so. So there's a lot of Christians in our culture that don't necessarily agree with the standings of the gospel in the church. There's all these revisionists that want to redefine the gospel. It's been defined, Christians. The Holy Spirit is with us. Anyway, I'm losing myself on this topic. I'm coming back home. I'm coming right back home into Father's Day. wasn't planning on that big leap, but I, got, I let myself get out there. So I'm going to come right back here. Our prototype is the Father in heaven. Not this culture. Not this culture. You can live according to the culture, you can learn according to the church, or you can live according to the kingdom. The church isn't always right. The culture isn't always right, but Jesus is always right. Kingdom culture, right? This is what this church is all about, is kingdom culture. On earth as it is. What are you saying? What are you doing? Not what's right to me, not what's right to the denominations. Lords, what is right to you? What is it that you want? That's where the power is. Men oftentimes have difficulty in intimacy in relationships because they've never had an intimate relationship with their father. Men have problems bonding with each other. We have problems bonding in our marriages. We have problems bonding with our children, either because we have not had an intimate relationship and learned intimacy from an, up from our earthly father, and, or we don't have intimacy with our heavenly father, or we perceive our heavenly father as harsh. This is what happens. We learn. Men have to learn and grow, and we learn into that. That's what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus modeled an intimate, masculine, it can be feminine, but let's just take it for men this morning, a masculine intimacy with his heavenly Father that wasn't weird, that wasn't off, and that warmth and that intimacy through that relationship will affect every other relationship. So that's what happens. And so we don't begin with our, with our earthly father. If we had a bad earthly father or if we had a, uh, a no earthly father, those are not our models. The Lord is our model. My dad, my dad wasn't a bad dad. He just wasn't there. 
he just left at a very specific age, and he just bailed, right? He left at a very formidable age. He left it when I was almost in seventh grade, and I didn't see him until I was getting out of high school. So you don't think the devil knows what he's doing? He affects people at the point of change. And it was, it's, a very, it's a transitional moment. And I feel like the enemy, let, my, my father left at that transitional moment and left a huge gap in me, left a huge void. I wasn't even aware of what was missing. But the Lord has filled that gap, right? He's filled that gap. God told me, I will be your father if you'll let me. And I'm like, let's go. I leaned into that from the very time I became a Christian. I had nothing, but I had Jesus. And that was all that mattered to me. I didn't have everything. I didn't have fathers that were, you know, I was around people that were, you know, their dads were buying them things. Nobody was buying me anything because I didn't have a dad. But my father was my, God was my father and he's always been for me. And I've lacked nothing my whole life. I've lacked nothing. He's been my father. I've learned fathering from him. Am I perfect? By no means. By no means. I've made huge mistakes. The Hebrew word for, uh, for father is ha'ava. Ha'ava. I had a Jewish Christian come up to me, and he said, you know that that name has the divine breath in it, the, like the Yahweh, the, the Ha. Anything that has the divine breath in it means intimacy. So the word for father is Yahava, and it's a hybrid. That's where we get the word Abba from, is Yahava, Abba, Yahava, right? It means an intimate term. It means closeness. And so what the Hebrews would say is they would say Abba Avienu, Abba Avienu, Abba Avienu. Say it with me, Abba Avienu. Come on, look up and say Abba Avienu. And it means my intimate authority. Avienu is the authoritative one, but Abba means my intimate one. Right? So I have, an int- I have an authority, but I have an intimacy with that authority. The authority over our lives is to protect us, to lead us, and to guide us. That's what authority is supposed to do when it operates rightly. And so God, is, God as Father is our Abba Avienu. He's the one in whom we are intimate with, and he is the one who governs the aspects of our lives as we yield to him. Bring forth intimacy and leadership. Four types of father. There's God as father. There's your physical and biological father. We have spiritual fathers. A spiritual father is someone who has mentored you or is mentoring you, uh, or a spiritual mother in that case, but is mentoring you and developing you in the things of the spirit, growing you spiritually. Then you have father figures. You have those types of people that have stepped up into your life when no one else would, Right? They may not have been your biological father, but they stepped into place of that person and they've held the gap for you and they stood in the gap for you and they put themselves in that position for you when no one else would. All of them are worthy of honor. All of them. The purpose is to lead and to coach us, right? So God's, the desire of the father is to lead you and to coach you. This is another word in the scriptures called pater, P-A-T-E-R, and it means leader, It's a Hebrew word for for father, another word for father. It means leader. So a fatherless generation is a leaderless generation. A fatherless household is a leaderless household. It's true. Men are designed to directionally lead. Women are the influential leader. So the, the design of the relationship is the husband and the wife are together, the male and the female, and they're cooperating together, collaborating together to move in the direction that God has defined. And oftentimes that influence as far as the direction comes from the man. If the, fam- if the man will not lead the family spiritually, chances are the family as a whole is going to be disaffected spiritually. It will go nowhere. It just won't. I tell men all the time, if Jesus doesn't matter to you, Jesus isn't going to matter to your kids. Just know that for sure. If you can't come to church, don't expect them to do. You know, your wife can get them to come until they're like 15, and then they're going to get a voice of their own, and they're going to, you know what they're going to say? Well, dad doesn't come to church. 100%. That's what you're going to get. 
When a father leads the household, the family is intact. The family tends to go forward. The family tends to move. It's just a reality. Men matter. Men need to be rooted. Men need to commit to church, and they, they themselves need to root it. Men, women, men oftentimes delegate that within the relationship. Well, you go root. You take the family to church. You go. You go. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to sleep. I've worked hard all week. They, men don't do that because they lack the ability to have this intimacy. They have acceptance issues. They have brokenness issues. They have, self, they have self-acceptance. They have acceptance issues with God. They see God differently. They don't understand who he really is. If you knew who he really was, and you really understand who he is, you would run. That's what David said. I came running when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Why? Because David knew who he is. David didn't say, I took a nap when they told me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I went fishing when they told me to go to the house of the Lord. All right? I was glad, the Bible says. One translation says, I came running. David got up and ran. We're We're going to meet with Jesus, and they don't have what we have. They had a visitation presence. You have a habitation presence. The Lord is with you. He's with you. All you got to do is activate and he's there. They had to wait for the Lord to come because the Lord's presence in the Old Testament was habitation because the blood had not been shed and the veil had not been torn. Now the blood is shed and we have regeneration and we can have the inhabitation of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have that. And so David was like, what? We're going to see me with Jesus? He was running. If you knew who he was, you would run. If you knew how much he loved you, you would run. If you knew how much he cared for you, you would run. You would look to nothing else but him. You would be in him, you live, move, and have just being. As the deer pants for the water, there's another one. David's like, I'm jonesing to be with Jesus. I'm panting to be in the presence of my God in the corporate assembly. But we don't understand. And our absence from his presence is evidence that we don't understand who he is. That is the evidence. Because if you knew, you would be here. If you knew, if you knew the gift of God that was sitting in front of you, he told the woman. You have no perception or conception of who I am. You think I'm something, and, but your thoughts are not. I'm not what you perceive me to be. Christians do it all the time. We create God in our own image. He's not who we perceive. He's better. He's kinder. He's more just. He's more loving than you think. You have to change the way that you think. First thing a father teaches us in Romans is it's father to son. So the first thing, so we're going to look at five aspects of, of, of our heavenly father, and we can learn from this. First thing God teaches us is authority. Father, son, son, father, do as I do, do as I say. And what authority does is it protects us. Authority directs us and authority protects us. You follow the Lord, you don't have to worry. God's with you. You don't follow the Lord, all bets are off, flip a coin, right? So it's this relationship and harmony of relationship and following him. Say this, leadership, all y'all, leadership begins with submission. Say this, I cannot lead until I learn to submit. I cannot have real authority until I've learned to sit under it. That's the kingdom. This is the way the kingdom, that's not the culture. The culture's like, you don't need anybody to lead you. You don't need any, you're 21 years old. You know everything. You go do it. Yeah, that works out well, doesn't it? Does that, that's really effective. No, we need to sit under leadership. The idea of leadership is to train, to develop, to release. Train to develop, to release, to release into an atmosphere, to release into a, a greater place. It's a whole idea, right? When you're training your children, your authority in your children's lives is to do what? To train, to equip them, to release them, right? That's your whole idea. Your authority isn't to crush them. Your authority isn't to choke them out. 
right, and suffocate them. You're right. Your authority in their life is to better them and to prepare them and to, cause, to call them to rise to someplace you didn't. That's the whole purpose of authority, is to lead, guide, direct, develop, and release, right? That's what the church is supposed to do, is lead, guide, develop, and release people and in, in, in further the community, further the atmosphere, further the purposes, because we're lead, guiding, developing. Lead, guiding, developing under an umbrella of authority. The authority of the ministry, which sits under the authority of Jesus. The goal of the ministry is to align itself with the authority of Jesus and let Jesus develop the ministry. That's another story. But the point is, is that you have to sit under authority. You have to. That's, that's the biblical design. Even, you know, people are like, I'm a prophet. I just go from town to town. I'm like, you don't know your Bible. And you need to sit down and shut up because you don't know your Bible. Elisha was under authority. He was submitted to Elijah until the God told him he could go, right? And Elijah could not perform miracles because he did not meet the room. He refused to sit in a house. And things that Elijah brought forth died. The widow's son died. The widow had prepared a space for him in the house, but Elijah refused to go in the house. So the things that Elijah brought forth prophetically died because he would not unite himself to a house. So all y'all prophetic people out there, hear that. Hear that. Oh, I bring forth stuff. Yeah, and it dies in the field. The boy died in the field. Oh, but I brought that, poor, that boy forward. That woman gave birth to a son. Yeah, prophetically, that, that word came to pass, but it died in the field because Elijah was not willing to be bound to a house. Write that one down. Twitter it. I meet people all the time. They're ministers. They travel around. Oh, I'm a prophet. You know what church you go to? Well, I kind of go here, but I don't really. You sit there. Is that part of you? Are you submitted under the authority of that church? Oh, no, I'm a prophet. You know nothing. You know nothing. You know nothing. You don't know your Bible. And because you don't know your Bible, you cannot manifest a pure form of the power of God because you don't understand the concepts and the constructs of this kingdom. Without understanding that, you will not manifest what is true. You'll be offering strange fire. And everything you come up is going to be mixed with something. You know, It'll have some aroma of God in there, but it'll have some wild brush in there too because you don't understand. Just a thought. We are debtors not to live according to the flesh. We owe, you owe your old nature nothing. This is what the Bible says. You do not have to be bound to your old, your old nature. You owe that old nature. You owe that dead man nothing. God's called us into a new life. We're not bound to that. If we live according to the old nature, we're going to die. One of the things about fathers is say with me, fathers are not like mothers. Can I get a witness? Right? One of the number one rules fathers teach their children. Anybody want to help me with it? First rule. Right? You're not in charge. That's the first rule that dads usually teach the kid. You're not in charge around here. I'm in charge around here, right? I'm in charge around here. My son learned that lesson really good. He used to say to me, Dad, you know, he'd want all these changes in the house. And he'd be like, you know, and he's like, but you're in charge, Dad. You're in charge. And I'd say, yeah, your mom runs the house, bro. You know? He's like, yeah, but you're in charge. I go, no, we do this stuff collaborative. We collaborate together. You know, we find our strengths and weaknesses and we do it together. But my son would always be like, you know, you need to tell dad, you need to go in there, tell mom the way it is and tell her the way to do it. I'm like, I ain't working like that, bro. This isn't how it works. So we'll discuss things or stuff like that. He would always tell me that. But he understood authority. He's very, my son was very strong-willed. Five years old, my dad, my son would walk up to me and he'd go, you're not the king of me. You're not my boss. Five years old. Who taught him that? Where do you get that? That's the devil's no, that's he's strong-willed. I'll share with you on stories of my, of Elias. He, he's a very beautiful kid. I love him so much. I love him very much. 
And when we were developing him and we're trying to father him and struggling with him and my wife and I trying to understand, he has a very similar personality to Sherry. He's not my, my personality at all. He's different than, than I am. I'd never been around a personality like that. And I would go before the Lord and I'd say, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, what do I do here? I'm struggling with this, Lord. I need you to tell me. And you know what the Lord told me? Because I went father to father. I went, Father, show me how to father. Father, show me how to father. And he said, the first thing I want from you, Kevin, is I want you to thank me for your strong-willed son. So that's the first thing I want from you. I want gratitude because I've given you power and I've put strength in your life. And that boy will be strong. Yeah, he's going to be headstrong. Yeah, he's going to be wild. Yeah, he's not going to listen. He's going to go his own way. But when he devotes, he will be unmovable and he'll be unshakable. So I want the first thing you do before you do anything, before you talk to me about the struggles here, I want you to give me gratitude for the strength that I put in your son because it's an honor to you. You can't handle it, clearly. He can't handle himself. Some of you, you got kids that got power in them and they, they, they can't even handle it. You can't handle them. Well, guess what? They can't handle it either, right? They're all over the place. God knows how to handle it. He'll father where you cannot, dads. But you've got to let him father where you cannot. I cannot father. Lord, if you will not give me the wisdom and I don't have the capacity, will you father where I cannot? And you have to let him do it. You have to let God father where you cannot. And that's trust, ladies and gentlemen. Fatherlessness produces adult adolescence. We create a generation that shaves, of boys that shave. We have an adolescent generation, unlike anything that preceded it. Men are very noncommittal in this generation, unfortunately. They are because there's a fatherlessness. There's an epidemic of fatherlessness. Men inhabit the homes, but they don't father. Men inhabit the homes, but they don't marry. And it produces fatherlessness. I'm not condemning it. I'm simply looking at it as what is true. There's a generation that needs to be fathered. There's a generation that needs the fathering of the father in them to change them. This is why men will not marry. They will not devote because they see no reason to. They see no reason to. It's not mirrored to them. The value of relationship is not mirrored to them. The value of raising children isn't mirrored to them. Mommy is the one. Mommy represents caregiver. Mommy represents nurturer. Mommy represents a lot of things. I can't mommy. Mommy is more powerful than I am. But my role is necessary. And we produce this. This is why, if you ever wonder, there's a whole generation that's very much voting and wanting socialism. Do you know why this generation wants socialism? Because it's the mommy state. They've been raised without fathers, and so they want, a gener they want a state that takes care of them. They want to be mommied. They want to be taken care of. They want everybody to take care of me, send me checks in the mail with me, and I'll live in my mom's basement and eat cookies and wear my Batman PJs. We create a socialist state because we have a fatherless generation. It's the facts. Sociological. You can pattern it. You can follow it. It is a sociological fact. That what, fatherless, what fathers do is they empower their sons. Get up. Get a job. Take a wife. What are you doing with your life? That's not what you know. We, we direct our children like our father directs us. The mandate over the life of all men is very simple. It's very simple. There's a lot of gray area in between, but the points of, the points of debarkation are very simple. Number one, come to Jesus. That is the first and most primary responsibility of all men is return to the Lord. Give your life to Christ. That's number one. Live in him, grow in him. That's number one. Number two, take a godly wife. Two are better than one. It is not good that man should be alone. So the second mandate is find a woman who loves Jesus. And all the ladies said? 
That's right. Find a woman who loves Jesus. You love Jesus. She loves Jesus. You both follow Jesus. That's step two. Step two, well, step two was probably get a job before you take a wife. So step one is know the Jesus, follow Jesus, get a job. What does that mean? Be self-sustaining. Self-sustaining. I don't care if you're an entrepreneur. I don't care if you, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. Just be, the Bible only expects you to be self-sustaining. Be a man. Pay your bills, right? If you're living with your mom and you're going to school, cool. You're living with your mom and you're in a, you're in a uh, career transition, cool, right? If, if your mom and dad, if you're lucky enough to have a second home and your mom and dad are letting you live in a second home, even better, hallelujah, right? But the point is, is that you grow up into responsibility. You shouldn't be 30 years old eating cookies in Batman PJs playing World of Warcraft in your mom's back bedroom. Yes, I have one woman that says yes. Grow up. Grow up. Paul, Bible tells us to put away childish things. We're to grow up. We're to be responsible. Pay our bills. He didn't say live on the water. He didn't say live like a king. Now, that's a different pursuit. That's a pursuit, another pursuit under the Lord. But the baseline element is, is be, be, a, be a provider. You're created for it, right? We create socialism because men don't, and men are the advocates of it because they want the state to take care of them. Just take care of me. Take care of me. America is not economic equality. America is equal opportunity. It is, the, it is equality of opportunity. People that come from and immigrate to this country from other countries succeed faster and further than the people who are born and raised here because they understand that this is an opportunity and they take advantage of the opportunity. Whereas Americans, born and bred, want to sit around and cry all the time how the government's not taking care of them. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Rise up. Rise to the level of your birth. I told you a story last week or a week before about a guy who made a million dollars in six years. And he said, I'm going to give you the three secrets of me making a million dollars in six years. Anybody here want them? Yeah? Okay, come back next week. I'll tell you next week. Just joking. He said, number one, he said, I'm in America. He says, number one, no excuses. No excuses. Cuba's hard, right? Jamaica's hard. Mexico's hard. Uh, guess what? Canada's socialist. It's hard. I lived in Germany for a while. And when I was in Germany, you had to, you had to go to dry cleaning school and you had to study to become a dry cleaner. You had, to go to, you had to go to school to learn to be a dry cleaner and you had to intern for two years before you could ever open up a dry cleaner in Germany. A dry cleaner. You know, in the United States, all you got to do is go, hey, I want to rent this. I want to put a dry cleaner in there. What's your qualification? Oh, nothing. I'm just going to give it a shot. Boom, you can do it. If you have the wherewithal, you can do it. There's no excuses. You're born in this country. You have no excuses. Stop looking to the mommy state to take care of you. Empower and rise to the level of your birth. You're sons and daughters of the highest. This is nonsense. No, really. Let's go. Yeah, come on. Give him glory. He said, number one, I was in, I was in uh, the United States. Number two, ready? He said, I found an opportunity and I took it. And when that opportunity didn't work out, I found another opportunity and I took it. And when that opportunity didn't work out, I found another opportunity and I took it. And when that opportunity didn't work out, I found another one. And he said, and I kept working my opportunities until one of them worked out. And then the, the third thing he said is he said, I had a mentor. What's that that he had? Oh, he had a father figure. He had a father figure. He had someone who was willing to mentor him and coach him. And he said, the guy that mentored him and coached him said, you have screwed your life up. He said, you're 26 years old. He said, you've spent the last seven years of your life jacking it up. 
He said, if you want the next seven to be different, you have to fundamentally change on everything. And he said, and if you're not willing to do that, I'm not working with you, period. Well, evidently the guy did. And he listened to him. And he followed what the guy had to say. Yeah? Just a thought. Submission to authority. Authority to someone who knows more than you do. You know nothing. You know nothing. I love to say this into this generation. In the Hebrew culture, you couldn't speak until you were 30 years old. All the men got together on the Sanhedrin and the manly councils, and the young men were allowed to be there. But if you weren't 30 years old, you were not allowed to contribute an opinion. You could ask questions. You could ask any question you want. The floor was open to questions. But if you weren't 30, you couldn't speak. Nobody wants to know your opinion. How old are you? Oh, you're 22. Sorry, you don't count. <gasps> right? I had a guy, t- I said that one time, and a guy says, Age is no guarantee of wisdom. And you know what I said? Neither is youth the guarantee of innovation. Age is not the guarantee of wisdom. I'll give you that. But just because you're young doesn't mean you're innovative. Got quiet. (laughs) Expected you guys to go, yeah. But anyway, that's all good. I like to tell this too. I share this first service. I'll share it here. If you're from the Upper East Coast and you're from the People's Republic of Massachusetts and you've moved to the great free state of Florida, we want to welcome you. If you're from the People's Republic of New York and you've moved to the great state of Florida, we want to, help, we want to welcome you. If you're from the People's Republic of New Jersey and you've moved to the great state of Florida, we too want to welcome you. We want to welcome you to our free state, right, where we don't vote for socialists. We want to welcome you to our free state. we got a free gun for you. Okay, because we want to help you lay hold of those rights that you've heard about, but you've never been able to access. Florida's a free state. So we don't need all of the, if you're migrating here, leave your liberal values with you. Leave them with you because we don't want them here. If you want those liberal values and you want that leftist thinking, there are planes leaving on Maya, out of Miami airport on the hour. New York will welcome you back, Right? Massachusetts will welcome you back. California will welcome you back. You can go to the height of the People's Republic of California. Good God. That's one of the most oppressive states in the nation is California. It's insane with their laws. Insane. The idea is don't look to the mommy state. It's not, don't look to the mommy state. God has created you to be empowered and to move forward. Father provides identity. Father establishes value and worth and he validates. He says you're not slaves, you're sons. You're not slaves, you're sons. A slave has a hopeless mentality. A son has a hopeless mentality. Any, if you are in this room and you have a hopeless mentality, your perception of who you are and who God is is a slave mentality. You don't have to stay there, but you do need to recognize what that is. Any area of your life that is not under the influence of hope is under the influence of a lie, period. Your sons and daughters, you serve the king who is hopeful, full of hope. Darkness and despair is not your inheritance. And if you keep partnering with darkness and despair, it is indicative of a slave mentality. And God is saying to you, you are not slaves. Why are you hopeless? Well, nothing's going to change. Who told you that? Did Jesus tell you that? Well, there's no hope for me. Did Jesus tell you that? No, I failed. So? So? Did Jesus tell you you're a failure? Your choices and your circumstances are not what defines you. Your father defines you. You hear me say this all the time. You're not slaves. You're sons. Jesus came to reveal the father. And what did Jesus reveal about the father? That God's not angry. How do you know? Because God's so loved. 
John 3.16, that he gave. He didn't say, God's so ticked off that he sent me down here to teach all y'all a lesson. He didn't say that. God's not domineering. How do you know that? Because Jesus said so. For freedom's sake, I make you free. For no other reason than to free you, I free you. For no other reason. Not to dominate you, not to control you, but to liberate you, to emancipate you. God's not performance-driven. How do you know? For by grace you are saved and not of works. <laughs> it's not about performance. It's about position. We do not work, say this with me, we do not work for our relationship. We work from it. Your sons and daughters, we live from it. We don't work for it. You've already been given it. You live from that position. Matthew 3, right? Jesus is baptized. He's being baptized in the Jordan. And the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Did he not say that? Y'all know, y'all with me here? Yeah, you guys with me? At that point, what had Jesus done? He hadn't done anything. He didn't preach one sermon. He didn't heal one person. He didn't cast out one devil. And yet the Lord spoke his approval. Why? Because this is the prototype of the model of the relationship between the heavenly father and us. And Jesus began his ministry and he lived his ministry working from, he's modeling for us. Jesus is a model for us to follow. And that model is the relationship between him and the father. And he came down to show us how to do it. You don't work for it, you work from it. That doesn't mean you do nothing. If you're a son, you will be about your father's business. If you are a son, you will pursue the high calling that's on your life. Right? They that are led by the spirit are the sons of God. If you're a son, you will, let, you will follow the Holy Spirit, and you not count him as a secondary item in your life. You will illuminate and follow him. This is the idea, right? So this, this is the concept. God's not domineering. God came to, to show the Father. He came to give us security, right? Security. He gives us identity, then he gives us security. You do not receive the spirit of, by, of fear, and you not receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, we do not live under fear, and we cannot relate to God on the basis of fear. This is hard. God does not relate to us on the basis of fear. He doesn't. Well, the fear of the Lord, it's reverence. The word is reverence. You revere him. I don't fear him. I honor him. I know who he is. He's my intimate. He's also my avienu. He is my authority. He's my ruling authority. But he's also my intimate. And I'm his child, and I'm his son. And God's, when God's default relationship to me is not Lord, his default relation to me is son. But because I'm a son, I'm under lordship. Because I'm a son. You understand? God's voice. When God speaks to us, he speaks to us in the voice of the father, the voice of the king, and the voice of the physician. Those are three of his voices. Right? We listen to his father. He, that's the voice of love. That's the voice of affirmation. That's the voice of direction. That's the voice of promise. That's the voice of calling. Right? That's the voice of the father. The voice of the king is like, come on, get up and go. Most Christians can't hear the voice of the king. They're either locked in only one voice, the, the authoritative voice of the king, and they don't know his father. But this generation, we, we, we deny the voice of the king. We think that we're loved and we can do anything we want. You don't know him. You don't know him. Right? We have to hear the voice of the king who leads us and guides us. The voice of the physician? Forget that. You're never going to hear the physician unless you let, let him. The physician tells you what time it is. He tells you what's wrong. And most of us don't want to, tell, don't want to understand what's wrong. The physician says, hey, look, here's the problem here. Okay? All right, let me sit you down, Kevin. All right. So I'm glad you came to me. Dr. Jesus in the room. You got an anger problem. What? I don't have an anger problem. Let's trash this place. Right? You have an anger problem. 
So I'm going to give you the good news. So here's the good news. The bad news is you got an anger problem. Good news is I know where it's coming from. So we need to heal this anger. We need to heal this. You know, nah, 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 nah. Right? Our dysfunctions in our life are related to issues that are missing and issues that are broken with us. And that is only revealed when we learn the communion with the voice, not just of the father, but of the king, but also of the physician. We think everybody else is the problem. No, you're the problem. You, you are at least 50% of the problem. I can tell you that for sure. It's not God, just a thought. But we don't live under fear. So if I go to the physician and I'm asking him what's wrong and what's missing, he's not condemning me. He's like, you're a loser. You got an anger problem. He doesn't do that. He always offers hope. Jesus has, he'll he'll, he has revelation in one hand and hope in the other. Let me reveal the problem. Oh, but guess what? Here's hope, right? Here's the problem. Yeah, everything's lost, but guess what? There's hope. There's a better tomorrow. So we, we, live, we live in this relationship. So the idea is the communion with God and learning to hear his voice, learning to hear the voice of the Father, learning to hear the different aspects of him, and this is what enables us to move forward. And what God does with us, right, we don't live under fear. We relate to him as a son. We're adopted as a son. So God brings you into his family. He gives you full rights of inheritance. We're going to talk about that in a second. On day one, and his desire for you, as he says, listen, and every parent in the room is going to understand this, particularly fathers, I want you in my life. I want to be in your life. I want you to come with me, and I want to go with you. This is how our Father is. But he says, if you choose a path that is not with me, I cannot stop you, but I will be here for you. This is what fatherhood looks like, right? You, you, you cannot control the choices of your child. You can't control it. Fatherhood is a mentorship. It's a mentoring relationship. I tell my children, I want to be with you. I want you to be in my life. I want, you to be, I want you to be in my life, and I want to be in your life. I cannot control your choices, right? Many times God calls us to himself, and God wants you to be with him, but you choose a path that's apart from him. You can't, he can't stop you, nor can you stop your children from choosing that path. But what you can be as dads is you can be there, right? You can be there. This is what a father does. I don't relate to my father in fear. If I screw up and I blow it, I'm not afraid of him because he's not going to beat me on the head. And if I feel like he's going to beat me on the head, then I believe a lie and I have the wrong paradigm and the issue's with me, not with him, because he's not like that. Here's Isaiah, right? Isaiah chapter 30. This is Old Testament. So I told first service. This isn't even Jesus talking. This is the prophet Isaiah, Old Testament. God says, in repentance and rest, you will find salvation, sozo. In repentance is coming back to me. In coming back to me and in resting with me, you will find your salvation, your healing, and your deliverance. If you'll come back to me and you just rest with me and you'll be with me, all of these things are going to take taken care of. Then he says, in quietness and trust, I will give you strength. What does that mean? If you just sit down, shut up, and trust me, I'll give you strength. Right? But wait. But you said, I will not. So here's the father trying to bring the sons onto himself, saying, listen, if you come to me, I'm going to help you. If you be with me and rest with me and trust me, I'm going to help you. If you stop acting like you know everything and stop acting like you got a better plan than me and stop pretending and you just sit down and shut up, I'm going to strengthen you and I'm going to show you who and what you really are. But the person says, I will not. He says, we're going to run. And God says, so you'll run. We're going, to ride, we're going to ride on horses. And the Lord says, no, ride on swift horses. Get in a Ferrari, right? Go, don't, don't get in a Yugo or don't get in a little, you know, whatever, a little mini car. Get in a Ferrari. Don't just ride a horse. Go fast. 
go as fast as you can, run as fast as you can for me, and run as far as you can for me. Because what pursues you will be faster than you. You cannot run. If you run outside of this relationship, this will be the result. That's what he's telling them. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. And at the threat of five, you will flee away. Right? Your fear is going to encompass you. Outside of the relationship with me, you will find yourself in an economy of fear. And there will be nothing left of you until you're like a flagpole on a hill. What it's talking about is a hill, and the idea, the imagery in the Hebrew is that it's a tree that is shaved off of all those branches, or a dead tree, just one tree on the top of a hill. Or another image is a flagpole without a, without a banner. You will be bannerless. Well, one of, the, one of God's promises over our life is his banner. Victory is our banner. Love is our banner. You run from me, there's no banner over your life. You're exposed and you are vulnerable. That's what he's saying, right? So you're going to be like a hill. Like, so if there's one tree on a big hill, can you miss that? No, you can't miss that. You're going to see it, right? If you see a flagpole in the middle of nothing, there's a flagpole that has no flag on it. You're going to see it. What he's saying is your lifestyle will lead you to vulnerability and your lifestyle will lead you to exposure and being alone. This is where you will find yourself, alone. But wait. It says, but the Lord, everybody say it with me, but the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. I cannot choose for you. I cannot stop you. So you're going to choose a path apart from me, and I can't stop you. But I will wait so that I can be gracious to you. And he'll say, do you need me now? No, I got this, Lord. Okay. Do you need me now? No. And he says, I will arise to show you compassion. And so this is the heart of the Father. This is the heart of the Father towards us. He's not trying to control you. He wants to be with you and he wants to walk with you. He's inviting you into his world and he wants to be in yours. But you are completely free to choose against that. Completely. There's no constraining and he'll let you. He'll let you. You can go, go your own way. You can think you know everything. You can, and he's telling you what the end result's going to be. You're going to be in a world of hurt and you're going to be a world of fear. And every, you're going to lose everything. Anybody been there? Anybody tried that rebellious path? Anybody? Come on. Anybody? How'd that work out? Did that work out? That didn't work out at all. Right? Rebellion never works. It feels good, and it feels empowerment, but the consequences are brutal. Brutal. These are. Number four is generosity. God models for us generosity. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So God gives us security. He's going to be with you. You have security in your Father. We need to give our children security, fathers. You need to give them security. You cannot control their choices they're going to make stupid choices. They're going to make choices directly against you. And most likely, at some point in their life, they're going to go their own way. But what you need is you need to be there for them when they're not, when they fall. You need to tell them that. I'll be there for you. You need to be willing to be there. So the fourth one is generosity. The Lord himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we are children of God, we're heirs. Do you know you're an heir? Anybody here know you're an heir? Right? Have you ever looked into that portfolio? Most Christians have never looked into their inheritance portfolio at all. They have absolutely no clue what's in there. I had a friend. He was a member of a vacation society, so I will not mention. And they give you this package when you join. and has all the benefits in it and all the other stuff in it. And this person had been part of this vacation group for a long time. And another one of my friends was part of the vacation group. And he had read the, the package, right? So he knew all the little details. He knew where you could go and all the little special things that you could do. And those two got together one time. And so one of the guys goes, you know, uh, okay, so it's 12 o'clock. You know, we get free hot dogs after midnight. 
You know, it's like this all night. We get access to this all night thing. What? We get it. How's that? It's in the package. I didn't know that. It's in the package? Yeah, it's in the package. And then at midnight, we can all go over here, and there's a special section set up just for us that we get free hot dogs after midnight. And you guys like, we get free hot dogs after midnight? And he said, yeah, it's in the package. Most Christians have never looked at the inheritance portfolio. They have no clue what belongs to them. No clue. They've never opened it. Oh, I have an inheritance. Ah. You know, if they even talk like that. But no one even knows what's there. I'll just give you a few clues. Right? Here's some clues. Open up that inheritance package. <laughs> what's in your portfolio? I don't know. Here comes a few. Eternally, so we'll talk about the world to come. So we're going to talk about the world to come, and then we're going to talk about the rotten ear now. Eternally, it's life everlasting. I'm looking at immortals. If you were in Christ, you were immortal. Has that ever dawned on you? You will live forever. You live forever. I don't know if you noticed, Jesus wasn't looking to cling to this life, right? 33 years, he's like, I've had enough. I'm out. Why? Because he came from that world, and he knew that that world was far better than this one, right? He wasn't looking to saying, oh, Father, give me 125 years on this earth. That wasn't what his prayer was. His prayer was effectiveness, Trans transition, effectiveness, empowerment, you know. As soon as he took the doorway out, he took it, and he was gone. I mean, yeah, it was a purpose, but nonetheless, but you have life everlasting. You get real estate in that world. I don't know if you know that either. You get to rule cities. All of this is predicated on your faithfulness in this world. All of you have equality of salvation, but not everybody in that kingdom, Christian, has equality of reward. Christians go, well, I don't need to do anything. We all get the same thing. Oh, no, we don't. Oh, no, we don't. Let us run the race that is before us that we may obtain the prize. The prize of what? The upward calling in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about salvation. Peter's like, what do we get? And he said, nobody's given up anything for me that will not be rewarded in this life and the one to come. What, that's right. What have you given up for him? What have you done for him? Now, what have you done for you? Now, what have you done for your neighbor, your friends? What have you done in concert with him? What have you done in relationship with him? That's where the reward is. Your stewardship of this life is what echoes in eternity. If you will not serve in this world, you will not serve in that one. Your obedience, do you understand this? I'm going to give you this one. The concept, people think that human achievement is what God's looking at. God's not impressed with human achievement. Obedience is what he's looking for. You can, you know, somebody out there and goes a billion dollar business and Jesus tells you to do it and you only get a million dollars, you get 500, and you're barely paying your bills off that little business, but you listen to Jesus. Who do you think is going to be rewarded in the world to come? God will entrust what relates to him to those he can trust. There are people that can achieve massive things with human ability that don't need God. Do you think Jesus is going to reward that? He's not rewarding that. He rewards based upon the relationship and the communion with him. He relates based upon what he told you to do that was no, and you didn't do it. What he told you to do that was yes, and you did it. This is why this communion aspect is absolutely paramount. Or... You know, you can, you'll, you'll have your little space. Me, I want a kingdom. Jesus is giving out kingdoms. I want one. Jesus is giving out cities. I want one. Well, I don't know. I'll just be happy with my own little shack in heaven, pastor. Ooh. You don't know who you are, and you don't know what he is. You don't know that he's good, kind, generous, and loving. You don't know who he is, and you don't know what he's done for you. Because that's your pursuit. That's your vision of who he is. You don't know who he is. Jesus gave five cities to the one who, gave, who earned him five, didn't he? You could earn zero, and he's still going to reward you. The condemnation was not on effort. The condemnation was on cowardice. 
When Jesus is talking about the parable of the talents, he did not condemn the effort. He condemned the cowardice. It's not the effort. Jesus wants the effort. He wants the courage. What he condemned in that man was his, will, was his weakness in the fact that he would not enter in courageously. He would not do what was set before him. And he made excuses. You understand that? Amen. Just the thought. When you live with eternity in mind, your whole life's going to change. The problem is people don't live with eternity in mind. They live with this world in mind. When you realize that your life in this world is an echo into eternity, you'll live differently. When you realize that this life is a dress rehearsal for the one that's to come, you'll live differently. You'll live differently. You will. You'll stop living the way that you live. Jesus isn't going to look at you and go, wow, what a stock portfolio. Dude, give this guy something. He doesn't care about that. That's irrelevant to him. Obedience and relationship are what's important. I never knew you. Is that not what he said? So the idea is to know him. The idea is to walk with him. The idea is to follow him. This is the idea. You get positional authority. You get real estate. I don't know what you want. I've already staked out my claim. I've had a vision of it. I've got some big seaside thing going on, right? I've already told them this is what I want. What do you want? What are you willing to give for it? What are you willing? Right? Jesus said, you can have it. Can you drink the cup? Will you go through the process? Will you listen to me? He's not just going to give it to you. You'll have an inheritance, but you won't have fullness. There will be people that will have fullness in that kingdom. And you say, well, how did they get fullness? Because they did what you would not. They listened where you weren't. They pursued him while you pursued you. This flies right in the face of American, American Christianity, which is self-centered in nature, all about you. It's not all about you. It's all about him. This has nothing to do with you, everything to do with him. Seek first the kingdom, not your will, not your want, not your desire. The command, emphatic imperative, and by the way, it is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not as if you feel like it. He's like, you want my reward? You want fullness? Seek what matters to me. Find what matters to me. Well, how do I do that? That's, again, we're going to come back to the relationship. That's another story for another day. We'll look at that another time. You get positional authority. You know what you get? You get a new body in the world to come. Did you know that? Have you all looked into the portfolio? Right? You get a new body. Someone's like, when's that happening? When are you going to get it? We're going to be walking around flexing. and we're going to be looking good. Right? You won't even need Instagram because we're all going to be Instagram. Right? <laughs> That's true. You get fullness and fruitfulness. In this world, you get grace, which is power. You get peace with God, which is access to him. You can't buy that. You can't buy that. That's given. The treasure of the access that we have unto him. The treasure of the access that we have unto his power. You have access to his world and his spirit. You have the promise of restoration on all levels, and you have an inheritance in his name. A full inheritance in his name. You've never even looked into the package, have you? What does it mean for God to be Jehovah Jireh? What does it mean for God to be Jehovah Rapha? Are you begging him to do something that he's already told you is in your portfolio, and until you realize it's in the portfolio, you're not going to get the Benny? Just a thought. He gives us, we're an heir. So God, our Father, models to us generosity. He creates us not to take from us, but to give to us. He wants nothing from you. He wants everything for you. And when he calls you to serve him, it's because it's to the benefit of your life. He doesn't need you. God needs our worship. No, he doesn't. He has a gazillion angels that worship him day and night, night and day. Day and night, night and day. He doesn't need your worship. You need to worship him. Because when you worship him, you access him. It has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with you. 
He doesn't want from you. He wants for you. He wants you to follow you because he's tired of you looking at you and watching you make a mess of yourself. But he'll keep letting you make a mess of yourself until you come to the conclusion that it's better with him than it is without him. This is a God of generosity, a God of kindness, a God of love, a God of power. He's generous. He's not like your earthly father, people. He is the prototype of fatherhood. And then the last thing is maturity. <laughs> I was right on time at first service. I'm three minutes over. I was right on time. All right, last one's maturity. I can wind it up real quick. For if you live according to your selfish desires, you will die. God calls us to maturity. Any of you out here have children, you're trying to call that child to maturity. I've yet to meet the parent that says, I want my kid's life to be worse than mine. I mean, I barely made it by, I really want my son to just live under, you know. I will be thrilled if my son barely makes it out of, out of preschool, you know. No, nobody wants that. The way that we better the lives of our children is by calling them to maturity. Can I get a witness? Anybody here? The way that God betters your life because he's father is by calling you to maturity. He calls you out of a life of self-focused existence, and he calls you into a life of, of him, unto him, right? This is the idea. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. You live according to your own self. You live according to your own ways, your own will. You're, I think this, or I think that. Better yet, if you listen to the programming of the culture, you're going to die. A godless generation, a wicked and perverse generation, Jesus said. He didn't even use a godless. He said wicked and twisted. <laughs> wicked and twisted generation. Right? Think about that one. I'm being kind. I'm using godless. Godless just doesn't mean you don't know. Wicked and twisted means you do know and you do it anyway and you twist truth. That's our generation. They do know what's right and wrong, but they choose the wrong and they twist what is true. Wicked and perverse. That's what perverse means is to be twisted. Sons and daughters led by the Spirit of God. We're to live with a cultural mindset, right? We're to live with the mindset of his kingdom. God calls us to maturity. He calls us out of this world and into his. We live on earth as it is in heaven. It's a call to maturity. Christians have to rise up and become mature, right? We have this infiltration within our culture because the church has waxed silent. The government is not the salt of the earth. The church is. The government is not the city on a hill. The church is. And when the churches go silent and we go vacant, the devil will overrun us with chaos and vacuum. And we have a bunch of thumbsuckers. We've got a bunch of babies. Well, God's all about love. He's love, he's love, he's love. Do you know what love is? Love is not an emotional experience. Love is the highest good. So if God loves our nation, is this our highest good? Of course not. The highest good is to tell the truth. The highest good is to bring the standards. The highest good is to, to, to do these things. But our Heavenly Father calls us to maturity. But the choice is yours. So I'm going to do an, a little anointing over fathers this morning. So we're going to do a little service. So is there anybody in leadership that's here with the father? The father? Anybody that's in leadership? If you don't know if you're in leadership, nobody that's in leadership? No one knows that they're in leadership? Right. Somebody needs an anointing to realize that they're in leadership? All right. So I need all the fathers. If you're a father, I want you to come forward. We're going to pray for all the guys. We're going to do this in sections. If you are a father, please come up. I want to pray over you. All right.